Hello and welcome to the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. This podcast features interviews with speakers from our most recent OME conference. That was OME 2022. And on this third episode, we are featuring Dr. Andrew Allen. He's going to give us a preview of his November members-only webinar, Exploring the Relationship Between Mathematical Knowledge and Political Knowledge Through Critical Mathematical Literacy. So let's get right to it. Okay, so I am talking with Dr. Andrew Allen. Andrew, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful, thank you. Uh, That's great to hear. So you are going to be speaking uh, this month at our OME Talks webinar. And so, Andrew, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection to mathematics. So I'm an associate professor in the Faculty of Education at the University of Windsor. I teach math methodology at math foundations in the pre-service program. And I also teach research methodology in the master's and PhD program. I'm a former elementary classroom teacher and former course director at York University. Okay, and this is the OME Talks podcast, and I always ask our guests uh, how they first either heard of OME or got involved with OME uh, for our listeners. I can't even remember how long I've been involved, but I've been involved with OME, OME for 20 plus years. When I was a course director at York University, I was invited to speak then. And I believe we attended when we were in the Faculty of Education at York University. So all the way back then, you know, ha- have things changed in the, in the 20 years that you've been involved in, with OME? Have you seen some change? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen some changes. I, uh, I think, if I might say so, things are, seem to be a little bit more exciting. There's a greater push towards making math relevant for students. I think there's been a movement over the years to move away from the, the old kind of banking model of, of math and route memory and um, getting kids to or, or students to understand concepts. So I've seen that and getting more and more faculties of education involved. And so I, I have to think that you like some of the changes that were in the, the new Ontario curriculum that's come out in the last few years in that respect. Yes. Yeah, so, so there are some advantages. Are some, there are some good things, things that still hasn't changed and some things that could be changed. But what I like about the curriculum is that it covers a number of different strands whereby teachers in the past, I, when I first started out, were, were just teaching number work. And now there is um, algebra and there's getting kids to look at patterns, getting kids to problem solve, data management, and probability. <laughs> but I like the social and emotional learning component, and I like the everyday math. So we're evolving, and we're it's making it a little bit more relevant to students. I find, I find it interesting that you use the word evolving, because I think sometimes evolving doesn't happen fast enough for some people and happens too fast for others. And so I'm, I'm not sure uh, at what pace we are at right now, but we're definitely, we definitely are evolving. That is for sure. Yep. I agree. Okay. So this month you are going to be talking, uh, doing our, our webinar on exploring the relationship between mathematical knowledge and political knowledge through critical mathematical literacy. Uh, that's a long title. I can can you give us can you give us a a, a, a rundown of how that's going to relate to what we hear in uh, in a couple of weeks? So some of the things I'm going to be talking about, I'll talk about math, the power of math to reconstruct schools as institutions that lead 
rather than reflect the socio-political political ideas and values of society. Most of what I'm going to be talking about is based on Marilyn Frankenstein's work in Rethinking Math 2, and that's from uh, rethinkingschools.org. And she says that when, you, when we're teaching our students, we need to teach them to understand the mathematics, understand the mathematics of political knowledge, understand the politics of mathematical knowledge, and understand the politics of knowledge. And that's kind of crucial in this day and age where math has become a gatekeeper subject and the math is sometimes taught as something that's irrelevant except for achieving success in math classes. So we only do math in in math classes and math is not relevant or connected to social reality. And there's a myth of a math talent and uh, that, that creates barriers for entry into math among a number of populations that don't fit the stereotype of mathematicians. So I'll be talking about those kinds of issues. So the, those three seemed really similar to each other. Can you just repeat those three again? <laughs> okay. It's understanding mathematics first, which is what we do, but understanding the mathematics of political knowledge, understanding the politics of mathematical knowledge and understand the politics of knowledge. So for example, the mathematics of political knowledge, what I'm going to do is show some exercises where we can get students to look at the impact of war, something that's relevant right now, government budgets and uh, inflation, the meaning of the national debt, minimum wage, uh, interest rate, banking, housing prices, gas prices, to get students to really take a look at what that means and using math to look at, again, nat- national death, global wealth and resource um, development, look at systems and look for inequities in different systems, get them to examine climate change, global warming, pollution index, loans and credit card debt, and so on. That students hear about this, and this is an opportunity to help them understand the world better. So getting them to use math to understand political knowledge, but also understand the, the, the politics of knowledge. That's, um, there's a politician in the U.S. Uh, who a couple months ago said that math is about getting the right answer. It's, it's, about how you, it's not about how you feel about the problem or introduce some other things. There's a right answer and there's a wrong answer and that's it. And so there's a politics of how we see knowledge and preventing students from having access to questioning and to challenging inequities in this world. So so I'll talk about that too. So uh, I'm curious about politics of mathematical knowledge. So what would be an example of that? As I said earlier, the, so the politics of mathematical knowledge is revering math as something that's accessible to only those who, are, who have the smarts for math. So it, suggesting that math has no relevant to everyday situation, math has no role in understanding social justice, that math is neutral and provides students with no experience of using math to make sense of or change the world. So Again, math becomes a gatekeeper subject and provides a password, a passport to gain entry into practices where people enjoy different status in wider society. So math becomes a, po- a powerful social and economic filter. And it perpetuates a myth 
of a math talent. And again, that prevents um, people who don't fit the stereotype as mathematicians um, of gaining access to doing math. And again, I've, I, that math is also not connected to social reality in any substantive way. I mean, that sort of fits into the, the idea that everyone can do math and everybody should have access to math. Oh, oh, absolutely. So part of what I do in, in my pre-service program, I'm working with folks who are becoming teachers or beginning teachers. And most of my students in PJM and our PJM math program have dropped math since grade nine or grade 10, five finite math, calculus, trigonometry, and functions and relations. And they get into my class and they haven't taken math and in undergraduate so they haven't done it in years and it come bringing that relationship that they have with math and i think you don't hate math and again math is one of those subjects that people say i'm not good at or i hate math but i'm a functioning adult and i get them to change their relationship with math and get them to realize that we all have a math mind and again they don't hate math they hate the embarrassment and the frustration <laughs> that they experienced in math class and they associate that with, with math. So my job is to get them to rethink math and rethink their relationship around math. And I think, I mean, I, I don't think that is unique to mathematics in that, you know, people don't hate English, they hate or hate history, they hate feeling, you know, not so smart about those subjects. I think, but you, I think what you, you touched on is the, the idea that um, for some reason, people are happy and proud to say, they hate math. Yes. The math is different <laughs> in, than the rest in that respect. Yeah. I, yeah, math wasn't meant for me. Math is meant for someone else. And um, so I have to start from scratch and get them to relearn math. It's, it's challenging, but, but re rewarding. And again, for elementary math, the root word of elementary is elements, and it's breaking down math to its lowest, um, smallest um, component. And having to reteach math, and I say to students, when you walk through the door, I want you to forget everything you learned about math, and we're going to start from scratch. And I have to rebuild their relationship and their uh, confidence in math because there's an effective component to learning that students have to feel good about what they're learning, and they have to feel that it's connected to their real world, and and that it's useful and purposeful, and we. Have students doing um, engaging in, in experiences as as opposed to exercises in the textbook they actually call them exercises, and if students can't make sense of it or don't understand why they're doing it, then they're they get turned off from it and they disengage. So being at the as these are pre-service teachers, these are going to be the the teachers who will be teaching our future students. Um, and some of them are coming into your classes with those preconceived misconceptions about mathematics. What are some of the things that, that you're going to uh, expose them to to help change that mindset? <laughs> so the very first day for 25 years now, the first question I asked uh, my students is, why do we use base 10? And I think I've had out of the one or two years and maybe four or five, six sections of 40 students that I teach, I think one or two years and someone in the group would say, uh, because we have 10 digits. And getting them to understand that we, what we're doing in, the, in our number operations, we're, we're looking at, um, we're regrouping 
building up and regrouping by 10 or breaking down or regrouping by 10. And we chose 10, base 10. We have a decimal number system simply because we have 10 digits. So as human beings, when we became more sophisticated and we started farming, collecting things, it was easy to trade and to communicate, even if you didn't communicate in the same language to group things by 10, because all across the globe, we understand 10 because we all have, well, most of us have 10 digits. And then we started grouping groups off 10. And so I'm making larger groups of 10s and show them. Uh, so we, again, we start out with just um, why do we use base 10 and start um, doing addition and subtraction using base 10 and multiplication and division and, and regrouping and also getting students to stop saying that we carry a one because we do it. So I do an exercise where we do an addition question double digit with regrouping and almost always the class will say you carry a one and i say from henceforth and now on you'll never say you carry a one because you're carrying a group of 10 and then using manipulatives and showing them that this confuses students when you're saying you're carrying a one because it's not a not a one or you don't borrow in subtraction that you're just regrouping because kids get confused when they hear borrowing they, they believe you're going to give back what you borrowed but you're only regrouping and so in the end like what kind of metrics are you using to gauge whether your students have started to move that needle towards more mathematical understanding so i focus solely on conceptual knowledge first before i get into procedural knowledge so they have to so i'm modeling what they're going to do and so they have to demonstrate using the place value mat and based on blocks and demonstrate the concepts. And as once I, I see them getting it, then I say, here's where you, you introduce the symbols. And the symbols is just a reflection of what you just did in the real world. And every mathematical, mathematical concept can be represented in the real world. As a matter of fact, it's a math just describes things that happen in the real world. And so just their reactions, I seen them looking at number of operations that they've been doing all their lives and they've been taught the algorithm, taught the procedure. So I value conceptual knowledge over procedural knowledge. And so going from, from that end of the spectrum to the end where we're talking about critical mathematical literacy, I feel there's like a there's a, a big divide between, you know, why do we have base ten? versus, you know, how we can use uh, mathematics for social change. How do you get to that place? So, first of all, again, I've got to change their relationship with math. Now that, that they're starting to do number operations, they're, they're starting to see how numbers build up and break down. And I say to them, uh, for me, math is the art and science of patterns and relationships. It's the way we communicate or describe the world. And uh, once they've gotten those concepts, then I can introduce, I, I love graphs and, and charts and maps, and they can look at graphs and charts and maps, maps and make sense of the world. I love those graphs that show the population of the world and, and break down into who lives in what regions, the GDP of different countries. So we start looking at those maps. And once we have some mathematical understanding, then we can get to understand proportions, we can get to understand inequities, we can get to understand systems that are fair and systems that are unfair. So it doesn't take much, but once they got they get the conceptual knowledge, once they understand and they start we start creating graphs, then we go to 
any of these global charts and graphs online and they can do the same kind of an analysis. So it sounds like you're doing statistics without telling them that you're doing statistics. <laughs> That's right. So there's so, several times in the class, I go, everybody stop, look around. You're doing math. <laughs> and, and they're surprised because we're, we're, we're not, we don't have a sheet of uh, 100 questions and they get to make them the same mistake 100 times that what we're doing again is exploring math in the real world. And I use a lot of manipulatives and I say to them what they, what you want to do with students is get them to model it, get them to act it out and get them to write it, get them to use symbols, get them to, to, to draw it. And I find a, a number of many different ways for them to represent their mathematical ideas. So I'm focused on mathematical ideas rather than just the right answer. Now, I'm, I'm just curious, um, in, in my own head, someone I follow on Twitter is Simon Kustenmacher, who is a, um, he's a geographer, and he he has, uh, he often shows interesting maps of the world that are sort of broken down into different, sometimes ancient maps, sometimes current maps with uh, ancient information on them. And it sounds like, you know, when I see that, I see a story. Yes. And I feel like you're teaching a lot with story. Actually, I am <laughs> getting them to, to question. So we're, we're teaching critical literacy, but also but teaching critical literacy using mathematics. So it's a way of adding that tool to analyze numbers or to analyze graphs and charts and maps. Again, I love the maps to really take a look at a map that you've been looking at all your life and then to, to rethink that map. So, and I, and I love those those connections with stories that connect to your real life. For example, last week uh, we were talking about the that we had a base ten. Our, our months were <laughs> was to base ten at some point because sept oct nov dies is seven eight nine ten. And I think it was Julius Caesar. Why we added July and Augustus Caesar? Why we added August? And why we have twelve months? Because 12 months it can be divided by one, two, three, four, and six. So you could divide the year to quarters and thirds and, and so on, while 10 doesn't divide up nicely into quarters. So even that, you know, why do we use 24 hours in a day? Why 360 degrees? Why 60 minutes or 60 seconds? And again, those those numbers are easily divisible by more of the smaller numbers. So it's easy to divide up minutes and hours and and getting them to to realize that numbers are or system of measurement are sometimes are most times are always not just random that there's a purpose to why we our our different number systems that we that we use for telling time or for the dates and the months and so on so as we wrap this up i'm curious if you've got if you can give us a hint as to like a what would be a big takeaway that you would hope our participants would come away with from your talk? So the big takeaway for me is that math has become a, a gatekeeper subject and math, the myth, there's a myth out there that um, some people have a math mind and some don't. And that we're, even when people are doing math, even when people are doing it in their jobs, I still hear them saying, I'm not good at, at math. 
but another key takeaway is um, getting teaching our students conceptual knowledge way before we start teaching procedural knowledge. So the first months, first uh, two months of school, having students reinforcing the concepts with um, manipulatives or um, using real life stories before we even introduce the symbols and how the symbols are just alone, just don't make sense to the students or just following algorithms and procedures. So I, I guess those are key takeaways that I want from this. Okay, so we look forward to your talk in a couple of weeks, uh, October, or sorry, November 9th. And we thank you for giving us a little bit of a preview today, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Okay, thank you. That was Dr. Andrew Allen giving us a sneak peek at his upcoming webinar exploring the relationship between mathematical knowledge and political knowledge through critical mathematical literacy. He'll be presenting that on November 9th for OAME members. They can sign up for free at our MCIS registration site. There's a link in the description. Next month, we'll be talking to Kirsten Dick about nurturing joy in mathematics classrooms. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, stay safe.